Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. It's every parent's worst nightmare. Losing a child for any reason is devastating, but when it's suicide, family and friends are not only grieving the unexpected loss, they often find themselves confused and guilt-ridden, wondering why they were unable to prevent it. In North Carolina, suicide is the second leading cause of death for youth between the ages of 10 and 17, and the numbers are rising. On this week's show, we're gonna look at the trends and data on youth suicide with experts and hear from a prevention specialist about the warning signs and what our schools are doing and what you, our parents, can do to help keep our children safe. Before we tackle our main topic, we open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Two high-ranking officials at the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction are out in the latest round of staff shakeups at the state's education agency. Adam Levinson, DPI's chief financial officer, has been fired by State Superintendent Mark Johnson and Chief Academic Officer Stacy Wilson-Norman, who previously worked as Deputy Superintendent of Academics at Durham Public Schools before accepting a job at DPI in September, has now accepted a job in Cumberland County. The hiring of Levinson and Wilson-Norman last year by the State Board of Education was done so over the objection of Johnson. A recent decision by the North Carolina Supreme Court has given the state superintendent much broader authority over personnel. Almost 2,400 North Carolina elementary school teachers have failed the math portion of their licensing exam since the state hired Pearson Publishing Company to give the exam. It is exacerbating our state's struggles to hire enough teachers. Some state officials and teachers believe that the problem may lie with the exams rather than the educators. Teachers in Florida and Indiana have also seen mass failures when their states adopted Pearson testing. The state board has granted beginning teachers an extra year to pass as it reviews the Pearson exams. Finally, enrollment in teacher preparation programs is down nationally according to a new report. Between 2008 and 2016, there was a 23% decline in the number of people completing teacher preparation programs. This according to the American Association of Colleges for Teacher Education. Here in North Carolina, enrollment in our state university teacher prep programs is down 28% since 2010. The number one reason cited by students was the perception of teaching as an undesirable career, including low pay. Now remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. Now as I said at the top of the show, we are going to talk about an important but difficult subject today, youth suicide. Now if you're watching this program and are having thoughts about harming yourself, help is available. On screen throughout the show, we will have the phone number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline they can connect you immediately with local resources. So please, if you or someone you love needs help, call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Now our first guest is gonna help us understand the scope of youth suicide in problem in North Carolina, and she is 
Michelle Hughes. Michelle is the executive director of NC Child. NC Child is a policy and advocacy organization, research organization focused broadly on child well-being issues in North Carolina. So Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Now, Michelle, in addition to being the executive director of NC Child, you also serve on the North Carolina Child Fatality Task Force. This is actually a, a state effort created by the General Assembly uh, a couple of decades ago. So tell me um, about your role with the Child Fatality Task Force. Sure. I'm a member of the Child Fatality Task Force, and the task force is a legislative study commission, um, and its goal is to advance policy solutions to um, prevent children from dying. And so we look at all forms of child fatality, um, and there's three different committees that are part of the task force. One committee looks at perinatal deaths, so children that die before they reach their first birthday, and so prenatal infant mortality issues. The second is unintentional deaths, which are children who die in car accidents or from um, drug overdoses or some other kind of injury. And then the third committee I co-chair um, with Jenny Christensen, and um, that is the, the Intentional Death Prevention Committee. And that committee focuses on youth suicide, youth homicide, and child abuse deaths and ways to prevent those from happening. Now, I want to get into the data because the, the reason why we're doing this show today, I, I was in a meeting uh, just a couple weeks ago over at uh, Department of Public Instruction and saw the most recent data from what the Youth Risk Behavior Survey. It's, it's administered by uh, DPI's, the North Carolina Healthy Schools Division. It's also a national um, effort right. that, is, that is done, and this uh, surveys you know, every other year, as you know, um, uh, the information. And so I want to talk a little bit about that survey. We're going to pull up a couple of slides on the screen, and this, it just, it just, it jarred me as, as a father. Let me, let's pull up that first slide. Uh, this was a, uh, uh, high school students. So you look at the percentage below, you'll see also in the blue bar we've got 16% uh, of high school students in the last survey um, seriously considered attempting suicide during the past 12 months. And then, you know, then we you know, sort of goes down to the, um, you know, making a plan. But this was, um, I mean, this is obviously something that's been consistent. It's been done for, for several years. These numbers, uh, I guess they're shocking, but they're not surprising right now. No, I think what we're really concerned about is the number of youth that, are, um, that have reported um, attempting suicide. And so that is a significant, significant increase. It's doubled um, over the past couple of years. And so we're concerned about that. But all these numbers, as a parent, as an educator, as someone who cares about kids, youth suicide is a significant issue impacting our our kids and families and communities, and we need to pay attention to and it. We're, and we're defining uh, youth uh, to being uh, ages 10 to 17, I think is where the data generally right. Is that correct? So there are occasionally young people that, um, you know, uh, die by suicide who are younger than that, but the majority of young people who die by suicide or attempting suicide are between the ages of 10 and 17. And as you mentioned earlier in the show, um, suicide, youth suicide, is the second leading cause of death for our young people between the ages of 10 and 17. Yeah, and the most recent state data that we um, that we have is from was, was 2016. So these were actually uh, uh, successful. So 44, right. 44 children um, ages 10 to 17 committed suicide in 2016. Right. Um, let's pull up the other. I've got another slide because I think this is a this is a, uh, something that we need to focus on too, which is goes back to. Uh, suicidal behaviors, um, um, looking at the difference between, um, you know, for all students versus students, um, LGBT, uh, gay, lesbian, or bisexual students. Um, we've got 38% uh, of gay, lesbian, bisexual high school students made a plan 
to commit suicide in the last 12 months, and more than 11% actually did right. attempt suicide. Right. It's, it's heartbreaking. And when you think about the stressors on youth who are LGBTQ, um, they are often facing um, rejection in their families, rejection in, from their peers or in their communities. And so they're at risk not only for suicide, but they are disproportionately represented in the foster care system. They're a population that we have a lot of concern about. Right. So, um, so we've been, like I said, we, we've seen the rate double uh, since 2010. Um, what are the, um, I mean, what's the, I guess, the, and that's here in North Carolina, but I mean, we've seen some increases nationally. Right. What are the experts like you and others, what are, sort of, what are the, what are, what's the thinking on this? Sure. Well, North Carolina's numbers mirror also what's happening across the nation. Um, and so um, we are seeing this in states across, across our country. Um, and I think there's three things to sort of remember with our young people. One um, is that teenagers, their brains are still developing. And so when you think about the, what the prefrontal cortex, which is this part of the brain that is the executive functioning part of the brain, the um, part of the brain that uh, helps think through consequences and planning and impulse control, that's the last part of our brains to develop. And in teenagers, it's not fully developed. So already, they are sort of at risk for choosing risky behaviors, sort of not always able to think through the consequences of their decisions. And so when you think about uh, adolescent development, think of that frame overall. Mm -hmm. Then when you add in just the stress of being a teenager who's undergoing significant change, their bodies are changing, their relationships with their parents are changing, with their peers are changing, and they're having to navigate all this. And if they don't have appropriate support and tools to do that, that also can make them at risk. And then sort of for the perfect storm is if you add in any additional stressors. So um, if children have been victims of violence, abuse and neglect, if there's violence in their home, if they have untreated depression or anxiety, um, that also can be uh, a risk factor and, and sort of set kids up to be at risk um, for making a, a rash decision when they are in despair and feel like they have no other alternative. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, because that was, a, was one of my questions was you said about the perfect storm because all those things you describe about um, development of the brain, I mean, that's, that's always been true. Um, but, but clearly there is, there is something else going on, whether it's just over the last decade or the last 20 years that, um, you know, we, you know when, you, when you look at them, when you've got now tw over twice as we had a, we had a, um, uh, a chart up just a minute ago, we can pull it back up about the, uh, uh, you know, suicide overall in, in this country is the number 10 cause of death. But it's, there's only three that are actually increasing. The rates are increasing. Um, Alzheimer's, drug overdoses, and suicide. Right. Um, so you've got, that, that's a, that's, so that's not just youth. That's just, that's a broader society thing. But then here in North Carolina, twice as, over twice as many people die by suicide um, than by homicide. So again, it's, it's one of the things, you know, I talk to my friends in the news media um, um, about, you know, suicide, unless it's a murder-suicide, generally isn't covered at all, which I think is another reason why I think some of these numbers may be shocking to viewers because you just don't hear about it. When you start, we're going to have a, uh, a crisis specialist from Wake County Schools right. um, on, on the next segment, but uh, Wake County Schools uh, has been averages two students, uh, two suicides a year. Yeah. Um, but again, it's generally not covered in the media, which is, you know, a, which is a good thing, but it's also 
uh, we wanted to have this conversation on the show today, but uh, because of that. So, sort of, you know, sort of wrapping up. So, what what do you think um, we're going to talk about prevention and risk factors next? But what is uh, what should we be focusing on? Well, you know, as a state policy advocacy organization, NC Child, there's a couple solutions that we've put forward, and I'll mention two. One is that there is a um, huge need for additional health and mental health professionals in our schools. We have an enormous shortage of school nurses, school counselors, school psychologists. And just to put some data around that, um, with school nurses, North Carolina would need more than 600 additional school nurses to meet national ratios in North Carolina, um, national recommended ratios. And so that is just for school nurses. Um, and so ensuring that we have those professionals. And the second one is, and um, Kelly might want to talk about this, is restricting access to lethal means. And so young people who have access to firearms are much more likely which is to be- the, Which is the most common uh, suicide, right? In yeah. Is, is with a gun. So. It is. And so they, if they have access to firearms, they are much more likely to be successful in dying by suicide. And so restricting access to lethal means and making sure that for parents and for folks who have firearms, that they're safely secured in their homes and that children and young people cannot access them is one of the best things we can do to ensure that kids um, are less likely to uh, try to commit right. suicide. Important work. Thank you for your work uh, at NC Child and with the task force. We're going to uh, continue the conversation up next, but thank, thank you. you. We come back, we're going to talk to a crisis prevention expert from Wake County Public Schools. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. True or false, young people who talk about suicide never attempt or die by suicide. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer false? Talking about suicide is often a plea for help and a real warning that they are thinking about suicide. Now our next guest is going to talk to us about what our schools are doing to prevent suicide, but also what we should all know about warning signs and really how to keep our children safe. And she is Kelly Lister. Kelly is the Crisis Intervention and Prevention Specialist with Wake County Public Schools. You have a master's in social work. You're a licensed clinical social worker. So you've been working in this field uh, for, a, for a little bit. <laughs> Thank you for being here with us Thanks today. Thanks for having me. So we've got some, we've, we have some more, um, um, some, some tips and some pointers we're going to put up on the screen because I really want to focus this segment on really two things, sort of the risk factors and warning signs. And really, most importantly, what can we do? Mm -hmm. What can we do? So let's talk a little bit about those risk factors. We've got those on the screen now. Uh, you know, so you can uh, just sort of share with us your thoughts on this. So one of the highest risk factors are um, mental illness or depression or some form of anxiety. Um, kids will be more likely to be at risk for that if they have that in their history. Also, any kind of trauma that might have occurred, any kind of abuse puts them more at risk. Family history of suicide also um, puts them more at risk. Any type of loss would be um, a risk factor for them. 
and relationship issues can, be, can cause there to be more risk. Right. Is there a, is there a um, you know, our, our organization works a lot in the, in the childhood trauma space. Um, there is a, there's a multiplier factor if you have several of these things. Is that right. also true with this as well? I mean, I mean, obviously, I mean, everyone who lives on this planet uh, deals with a lot of these things, um, but not everyone sort of takes that next step. Um, is it, is it, does it build up? Absolutely. Um, you're talking about adverse childhood experiences, yes. which um, is a score that you can receive based on how many different traumas might have occurred in your life. And some of the traumas may be as simple as divorce, mm -hmm. separation, something like that. But the higher that you have on your ACE score, the more likely you are at risk. Right. Now I want to talk about warning signs. You heard our, uh, our Q&A, and I have to say this is, I think this is probably one. I've learned a lot in the last uh, couple of weeks just reading up on some of this topic. Um, what are the warning signs? And one that was a myth to me was that if people say that out loud, that's just a, they're just trying to get a rise out of you. They're just trying to shock you. They're not really, but that is actually a pretty real, um, one of the top warning signs is actually threatening it, right? Absolutely. Most people have told somebody. Um, that could be through social media. It could be through artwork. Um, so expressing thoughts about suicide is definitely a warning sign and one that you need to pay attention to and take seriously. Recent loss, and a recent loss to someone that they know who's died by suicide also can um, be concerning. Previous attempts would also indicate that um, they're, they're reaching out for help and asking for help. And when people reach out and ask for help, we need to, to jump on that. Right. and make sure that we follow through on anything that they're saying. It's in the schools, we teach everybody to look at that and take that seriously. Changes in personality can also be something you need to pay attention to. That could be sleep, academics, um, any kind of eating habits. If you see a real change in personality. Yeah, we've, and we've got, we're, we're showing some of these up on the screen now. We've got a couple of slides on that, but you know, drops in school performance. Uh, Self-injury is one. That's mm -hmm. something that, again, as a parent, became aware of that those things happen, uh, cutting. Uh, and self-injury does not necessarily equal somebody to be at risk for suicide, but Correct. it does increase the risk for sure. Right. Um, all right, well, let's, um, you obviously in your role with the schools, you're talking to um, uh, teachers and, and counselors about what to do to print. So I think some of these are probably, you know, again, because look, our schools see, sometimes they'll see children more than parents see their children, right. so they're important. But I guess, what what do we need to do? I mean, I guess, what do you train um, uh, educators to do, and then what should we as parents and, and just and just friends and family people do? So let me focus on the schools first. Okay. So for the school system, every single school year, at the beginning of the school year, it's mandated for them to see a staff awareness training. And that's given by the psychologists, the social workers, the counselors, and sometimes the nurses are mm -hmm. present for that. And they talk about look, what to look for and pay attention to. Um, and if kids say in any way, shape, or form, even through their artwork or the, even their writing, that they are absolutely supposed to take that seriously and really basically stop what they're doing and get somebody from the student services office to come up and take care of doing a screening for that child. Um, so this includes our bus drivers, our substitutes teachers. Folks are supposed to see this PowerPoint in order to look and know what to look for. And then, more importantly, what do we do right. once we have that information? Right. And so it is like you, it's really, um, I mean, it's take it seriously and take action, right? This is absolutely. not something to, to, uh, to wait. Correct. Um, so what else? I mean, um, you know, as um, the folks who are watching the show that uh, have children, um, you know, nieces, nephews, what should we be looking for? So it's really difficult, and I'm a parent of two teenage boys, to know what's the difference between 
normal teenage behavior, normal teenage behavior, and then someone who might really be needing some assistance. And you're looking at behaviors that would influence their daily functioning and may last more than a couple of weeks. That's some things you need to look for to say, hmm, maybe this is not normal, like he's always in his room, never coming out, being withdrawn, feeling hopeless or helplessness. So as a parent, I think it's really important for us to pay attention to those signs, but being very involved. A lot of us think that we have to be really involved when they're little, and then we kind of let them have some freedom as they grow older. We need to be more involved. We need to know where they are. We need to know what they're looking at. That social media is a big part of kids being absolutely immersed and watching what's on their, on their phone. And so having time at night where that phone is not, they don't have access to that, where they have some downtime. Um, so paying attention to their history on their phone, knowing who their friends are, what their grades are, and providing structure. The message for kids needs to be, I'm involved in, in your business. It's my job to be involved. I'm not supposed to be your friend. I'm supposed to be your parent. Right. And I want to be involved in what you're doing because that message is that you care enough to know where I am. So providing structure and letting kids know that parents are in charge and is really you, and important. And you know, so you, I said, I've got a teen, you've got a teen. That's not always um, welcomed. No, it's not. <laughs> and I think we walk this fine line of wanting to have our kids like us, but the more important thing is to keep them safe and right. to know what they're doing and, and what they're involved with. So um, be more involved with them. What do you think's changed? I mean, these numbers have have jumped up. I don't. I, you you know the Wake County numbers, and so I, but I'm assuming that they mirror. We uh, do. The, the last mm -hmm. decade, we've actually seen an increase in attempted suicides, and again, those numbers. I mean, what was it? A third of students have have considered it. Right. Um, and the, I mean, that's that just kind of blows my mind. And I think it's a mixture of a lot of things. I think we are in a nation that we have instant information. So a lot of things are right at your fingertips. So if a child is contemplating hurting themselves, all they have to do is Google self-injury. And they have lots of information right in front of them. So I think this immediate information that they have, uh, I think anxiety and stress have, have risen as well, which of course we know that suicide is not necessarily inherited. But uh, mental health is. Right. So when we have an increase of depression and anxiety, um, and I would certainly say anxiety is, going, is moving up, then we're going to have an increase of suicide as well. So what was stated earlier, it's really important for us to make sure we have enough mental health people to take care of folks who are in need. A lot of times we'll have kids that we know need, need to have ongoing counseling or extra support, and then there's not enough agencies well, to take I was care gonna, of that. I was going to be able to sort of to wrap it up. Um, you know, Michelle mentioned the lack of, um, you know, a school psychologist uh, resource. I mean, you got the schools, then you got the external resources. Right. Is that is that a challenge um, Absolutely. Uh, for you? Absolutely. Our ratios are not what they should be. We should have more social workers, counselors, psychologists, and nurses in the schools and available to kids um, more readily. But also outside agencies, there are not as many of those available because our mental health services have decreased. Yeah. And so real quickly, final word. What, is the, what do you think is the most important thing we can do? Pay attention. Pay attention. Be involved, listen to your kids, and Absolutely. take it Absolutely. Absolutely. Never leave them alone. Get them help professionally. All right. Well, look, this is, uh, uh, we appreciate everything that you've been, that you're doing with the school system here. This is really good information for parents. We're going to share a lot of links to uh, uh, various resources that folks can look up on our website at ncforum.org. So, um, again, thank you for sharing all this information. Thanks for covering this topic. Sure. After the break, this week's final word.
as a father of a teenager, this was a tough show to plan. I also know even talking about suicide carries its own risk. But when I saw the data we shared today during a child wellness meeting at DPI a couple weeks ago, it shocked me, and I felt compelled to share it with all of you. North Carolina loses more than 130 young people each year to suicide, according to the most recent North Carolina Youth Risk Behavior Survey. 16% of North Carolina's high school students seriously considered a suicide attempt in the previous 12 months. For our LGBTQ students, it jumps to 43%. Far too many of these students feel isolated, judged, and shunned, not just by some of their peers, but by state and federal laws, some churches, and their own families. I think the message you heard over and over today was don't ignore the warning signs. It's a myth that I used to believe that people who talk about suicide never actually do it. They do. It's also a myth that most suicides happen without warning. The risk factors and the warning signs are often painfully obvious after it's too late. If your gut tells you something is wrong and your child may be in danger, trust your instinct, get help. If you're a young person feeling hopeless or lost, you're not alone, but there's plenty of help available for you, including from people who have come through situations just like yours. Talk to a friend, parent, teacher, or call the lifeline that we've had on the screen today, 1-800-273-TALK. That line is available and staffed 24 hours a day. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching about this important subject and make sure you tune in next week for a brand new Education Matters. <laughs>